BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. citizen we've got a very special guest today andrew clavin um from young heretics which i don't know if that's like kind of a dig at the young turks uh, which would be pretty funny to be honest and uh, author of multiple books um gateway to the stoics and the latest one how to save the west how's it going it's great thanks i should say my name is spencer Andrew. oh god dad. damn it i knew i, I was uh, gonna do that <laughs> like you know when you uh, uh when you're no like worries, i hope i yet. i hope i don't do that and then you think about it for 10 minutes like all right i'm gonna call him his right name and then you immediately call uh-huh. him the wrong name i <laughs> yep, fuck i, I played uh, myself i played myself um i've met well, your dad before that's a good guy yeah oh yeah no i'm i'm honored to be confused for him and we like to joke that we're not related to one another so it's weird that people keep calling me by his name it's very strange but you're not the first person <laughs> i'm sure i'm not yeah um anyway so i talk about this uh it's interesting that that we've finally run into each other because i've uh, read a lot of your or i haven't read uh the books but i've read a lot of your writing and um kind of followed some of the uh, uh video stuff you do as well and it's always interesting to me the way that people in the West seem to uh, figure out a way to unsolve problems on a regular basis that we've mm. solved a very long time ago. Mm. And I don't know if it's just like, I don't know if it's just like boredom, you know, or, or, yeah. if, or if it's hubris or laziness or what it is. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, you used the word that the ancient Greeks would have used to talk about it, and that's hubris. It's a Greek word. It means overweening pride. Uh, and I think we can add a little bit of complacency into that as well this idea that you know you set everything up well and when things are start going well as a result there creeps in this kind of forgetfulness this idea that you kind of it all dropped out of the sky or you did it all for yourself you don't stand on the shoulders of giants there's nobody before you that matters Um, and there's a version of this in the bible as well right before the jewish people enter into the promised land god says to them okay everything's going to be great now and you're going to eat, you know, the the, uh, the fruits of your field and drink the wine from your vines. And then your heart will say, uh, my hand, my strength did all of this. And you, f- you will forget the Lord your God. And so remember, remember, um, it, we need reminding every few generations or so. I mean, the modern version of this is, you know, hard times make strong men, strong men make good times, good times make weak men, weak men make make uh, bad times. And, and this is you know, the ancient idea of anacyclosis, the cycle of regimes, I just think it's part of our fallen nature. We get complacent, uh, we get proud, and most of all, we forget the ones that came before us, which is kind of the work of my life is to remind people uh, that we stand on at the end of this vast and excellent tradition that we still, uh, even now, even at this late hour, we can still reach into it for wisdom and guidance. Sure, yeah. I mean, I think, uh, oh, I've always kind of thought that's what Jefferson meant when he said the tree of liberty must be refreshed from uh, time to time with the blood of patriots <laughs> and tyrants. I'm not entirely sure 
he just meant war. He wasn't a very warlike man, so it's hard to assume that he meant that we needed mm. a, a violent revolution every 15 years, right? But um, he, he... That was the, interesting. Yeah. The, the idea of, like, kind of wiping the... Uh, maybe you would call it the peripheral institutional knowledge that gathers over time, and a big part of that is people starting to take credit for things that existed long before them, right? Uh, yeah. I, I think maybe right. That, right. that there's something, something at play there. Um, oh, absolutely. I mean, you could add the, the sweat of patriots and, and tyrants as mm. well, I think. if uh, it's, it, I've never thought about that Jefferson quote quite that way, but I, I think you must be right, because this is a country that's seen a number of revivals, even in our kind of relatively short history, uh, in part because our system, our republic, depends on the religious spirit of the people, the morality of the people, which is a living thing. It's not something you can just set in stone and one and done, and then it's it's over. Um, you do need to kind of refresh. You need to go back to the source. And I, I suspect that our founders knew we would have to do this over and over again. I mean, the the, the Another element of this is simply that as times change, you know, new technology comes up, new situations emerge. Um, because the human heart is a factory of idols, we're always trying to answer new questions with the answers from, you know, the last political battle. We're always fighting yesterday's war, essentially. And as as time goes on, I think we need to return to the wellspring of some of these traditions it, it, because they will give us sort of new answers to meet new challenges. So the digital revolution is a perfect example of this, right? You've got this technology that has totally disoriented us, uh, reconfigured the way we talk to one another, the way we relate, uh, the way we relate to ourselves, understand our place in the universe. And we think that that means, oh, well, it's so new that nobody's ever thought about this stuff before. But actually what's happening is we're being thrown back on ancient questions, questions that have been around for a long time, basic things like, you know, what's what's my place in the cosmos? Is there a God? Um, and that's kind of good news uh, from my perspective, in part because it means we're not alone. It just, it, you know, it means that there have been people around before us who've thought about those questions for a long time. There are sane and good answers available to us. And the only thing keeping us from accessing them is this idea that, you know, once the past has handed its standards down to you, you can convict the past based on those ideals. So the founders, they were insufficiently, you know, uh, egalitarian. It's like, well, who taught you to be egalitarian? Like the founders did. Mm. And so, yeah, these ideals don't come dropping out of the sky, perfectly embodied at the moment they're thought of. Um, but, you know, guess what? Like you and I don't perfectly embody those ideals either. And the woke harpies certainly don't perfectly embody those ideals. They have to be yeah. lived out gradually over time. They're, they, you know, sure. they're, and they're precious that way. You mm. have to recover them. Yeah, it's interesting. We we don't really uh, we don't criticize physicists for you know their experiments being rudimentary or being captured by or limited by the the technology of their time. But for some reason, we do this philosophically quite a bit, right? It, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And to your other point about uh, what people would call getting back to the basics, this is kind of a fundamental rule that applies to any kind of skill, whether it be just living your life or uh, a work skill or language skill. Uh, the, the one I like most is a sports analogy. Like if you're a, if you're a hitter at baseball and your swing's all fucked up, you don't go out and take batting practice and try to hit as many home runs as you can. You get back to the basics. Typically you break your swing down into smaller increments and make sure you're getting each one of those correct first. And then you build from there. Mm. But for some reason, well, it's not for some reason it's the, you know, the ADD culture, I guess is, has been strung along a lot by technology, but I think it's deeper than that. I think that, um, I think that we've lost the internal relationship between effort and consequence, right? We, we, expect, mm. res we expect results, but the effort-consequence paradigm has been lost on us entirely. You know what I mean? Like people just yeah. don't have any tolerance yeah. for that anymore. Well, you see that even in the way we talk about money, right? We have this kind of imaginary idea about money that it's disconnected from – you can sort of abstract it away from any – hard value like land or you know the livestock or whatever that money symbol represents whatever actual value it's being exchanged for and so now we're in this position you know racking up just absolute looney tunes numbers uh in in terms of debt and we have actual serious economists going out 
there with their faces hanging out and saying, oh, it doesn't it doesn't actually matter. You can just sort of like magic money into into the ether. And that's, you know, the consequence, I think, of a civilization that is so developed that the effort uh, consequence uh, chain is really, really long. And so for a while, it gets easy to think like, oh, yeah, actually, I never have to meet with the consequences of my actions because they're way, way over there or they're totally, you know, they, they run through all these complicated steps. Um, but the reality, of course, as you say, is that those basics never go away. If there's some little things wrong in your baseball swing, if your elbow is like a millimeter off mm -hmm. or whatever, uh, and you know, you, you thought that you had that kind of covered, so you forget about it, you stop looking at it, eventually somewhere down the line, it's going to come out in a really big problem. Um, Thomas Aquinas, the great medieval theologian, uh, quotes Aristotle on this point. He says, a small error in the beginning makes a big error in the end. He's talking about logic and arguments, but it's true everywhere. It's like you start with this little tiny crack and it grows and grows until mm -hmm. finally you're totally screwed. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I, I like that breakdown of the immensity of some of the numbers we play around with. And I don't think, like these days with if you're thinking about the the size of the universe or the U.S. national debt, <laughs> those numbers are so large yeah. that people feel kind of disconnected from them. And it reminds me of that quote, uh, if you kill a man, you're a murderer. If you kill millions of men, you're a conqueror. You know what I mean? It's like we have totally. this yeah, we yeah. have this bizarre disconnect between the immensity of something uh, uh, and our, I guess, maybe our effect or responsibility towards it. Maybe I don't I don't know how you would really categorize that, but it's 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 something that um we're, we're in this new period now, right? For the last 100 years, 150 years or so, people have access to information more than they did before. Um, states and the church did a, a pretty good job of, especially the church keeping the Bible in Latin until the middle or until the early part of the 16th century to make sure that they had a, uh, a, a monopoly on access to God, for example, right? And then, you know, uh, mm -hmm. uh, th there was a lot of there was a lot of people tried for uh, uh, being a heretics for, for studying science after that. But now it's very difficult, as much as even our U.S. government tries to, to hide things from us, um, it's very difficult to keep information out of people's hands these days. And I wonder right. from your perspective right. as somebody who is, I mean, what, what I see now for the most part is just regurgitated bullshit most of the time. You know, everybody sure. wants a hot take on something. Uh, and look, I don't need to know what a musician's take on politics is, frankly. And we never would have cared before. But now it's the, there's right. this there's this virtue bank that everybody has to put deposits into. And if you don't, then you're not part of the good you're not part of the good people group. You know what I mean? So I wonder. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you yeah, hmm. elaborate on that a little bit. Well, you mentioned uh, my podcast on heretics and my, mm -hmm. my book, How to Save the West, like this stuff. Uh, it's kind of interesting to me because I don't know, I'm kind of a nerdy dude. I like reading old books, you know, and, and I started out talking about this. Obviously, I when you talk, you're talking to people, you're hoping people listen. Um, but I was pretty at peace with the idea that my subject was pretty niche and I would just get among a group of people that really liked it and that would be great. Um, and I had no idea what hunger there is uh, out there for somebody to talk meaningfully about real stuff, like rather than this garbage that's constantly getting thrown at us about like fake invented problems that like vanishingly small percentage of people that suffer from gender dysphoria now are going to become like a national referendum, right? And we're going to have like a big firefight over it every five seconds. Um, people are desperate for somebody to say, this is the basically reality. We all can kind of see it, even though there's, you know, fuzziness around the edges. And here's some rich wisdom about how to engage with it, which is what you get out of the ancient text. So, so you're absolutely right. I mean, our media ecosystem is really interesting, delicate, strange, infuriating at times, um, but very similar to the period you mentioned, um, which comes along, let's not forget, with the invention of the printing mm. press, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's that technology that leads to a lot of the changes you described or enables those changes, making scripture widely available to people in their own language, um, you know, and, and those things go hand in hand. And now now we have this new technology, which does something very similar for news and data and information. You can suddenly see behind the curtain of all these things that previously were hidden, you know, behind the, the TV studio. Um, and just as, you know, during the era of the printing press, the church made a very serious effort, the Catholic Church made a very serious effort to exert control over what was printed. And not just the church, by the way, governments also, oh, yeah. uh, especially, you know, governments in Europe. Um, 
we're, we have an almost identical movement, uh, an almost identical situation when it comes to digital technology. If you read like Twitter's, you know, before Musk took it over, some of the things that Twitter was saying about the way that they uh, watched over people and would kick them off the platform, including the sitting president, right? Um, some of those things sound exactly like the statements of the, you know, the, uh, the papacy mm -hmm. during the era of the printing press. Um, and so you're in a struggle, right? You're in a struggle between the force of the tech, which does one thing, kind of opens up this floodgate of information for good and ill, um, and the reaction of the ruling classes, which is to shut it down, to do like drill harder into control. Uh, and that's part of the reason that they're freaking out so hard right now. Um, but it's also a reason that this, I personally have no room really for despair because ruling classes always represent themselves as unbeatable eternal you can never possibly go up against this, these power structures um but that they only say that when they realize that in you're actually in a moment where basically anything could happen the good guys definitely could win um if in fact we reach out to one another using this tech and talk about stuff that matters yeah sure i i, I say this all the time but um people get really confused these days because we've had this idea of a binary political system for a very long time. And then you see members uh, of the varying parties working together towards what seems to be uh, more control over the American population. And, and people use the phrase mm -hmm. uniparty now in a surprising way. Yeah. Like, I can't believe this happens. Like, well, this is what always happens, right? The aristocracy will protect mm -hmm. itself before any particular principle. It'll protect itself. Right. Uh, and you, I, oh, I, yeah. I really do enjoy that, uh, that comment you made about uh about all the the flood of information i guess if you want to call it that now that's readily available to people um yeah neil degrasse tyson's like likes to say that we have uh we have smartphones but we're not any smarter for it you know like we have smartphones and dumb right. people maybe but it is right. it is interesting like i i feel like because every all this stuff has been exposed now about how you know uh political and aristocratic classes have recently and then historically captured any kind of modality of communication or, or, or modality mm. of, of even thought, to be honest. Um, and now people mm. have become cynical and having an, having an absent epistemology to appeal to where we don't know mm. what the stand, where, where's true North exactly anymore. That's a very dangerous time for people because uh, intellectual anarchy is not a good thing, I don't think. And I don't mean to say no. we should have control over what people think, but I mean to say there should be guardrails for what is reality and what is not reality. And that's why we have this 2 plus 2 equals 5 bullshit going on. Totally, totally. Well, it, one thing it does is it uh, makes signal uh, cut through mm. the noise a lot clearer. Um, you think about AI, for instance, right? Everybody's talking right now about ChatGPT and Dolly and all those platforms that just generate like kind of churned out machine-based words essentially and everybody's like well is this going to mean that a lot of people are going to lose their jobs in the knowledge industry and my feeling is like probably but not not for the reasons that you think like you think that this ai is going to become a conscious human um but it's it's not it's actually just revealing how much of the language that was already out there basically could have been written by a machine like how much garbage there is emails that come into your inbox every day press releases that come out of the white house like stuff that it's just like so predictable wrote kind of weirdly uh anti-human like it sounds like it was kind of cooked up in a lab it's like there is a lot of that stuff out there already being produced by humans and those people are now just like in a wash of text produced by robots and then if there you actually read something that has real human feeling and spirit suddenly you can see it so much more clearly because everything else is just such trash and i think you know similarly about somebody like jordan peterson let's say right who's saying something which in another time it might not have been as successful to say like clean your room to people mm. but he's cutting through this enormous just wash of bs garbage nonsense like whatever um and and psyops you know stuff that just is designed to scoop your brain out with a melon baller and somebody stands up and says you should clean your room and here's why it's like wow that actually really hits all of a sudden and i think there's that potential too for like signal to cut through the noise yeah sure and it, and it that that reminds me of uh tim Wu's book the attention merchants he kind of lays out how mm. 
um, <clears throat> American politics in the early part of the 20th century borrowed all of their once once radio and print were widely circulated um they borrowed most of yeah. their campaigning strategies from the snake oil salesmen of the latter part of the 19th century right that is to say huh. um yeah. very quick quippy one-liners that um casually uh, accuse people of things or casually uh, assert things about themselves without really having any substance to it, right? It's a, it's almost like a throwaway yeah. tweet, you know what I mean, where you, you can complain yeah. about it, like, oh, I just, I just said that in a moment. That's not that big a deal. But it is a big deal because you broadcast it to 30 million people, you know what I mean? Um, it, it, feels totally. a lot, it feels a lot like that because in the same way that we use MSG and fillers to get people addicted to food or, or uh, these app companies use uh, uh, micro transactions to keep people addicted to the little video game app things it's the same thing right we're just kind of baiting people along and we have this flood of information uh, uh we're constantly stimulated but we don't actually learn anything and i i would i would be very cur curious to see what uh if any change there's been in the average person's memory capabilities over the last 30 years or so i think that would be very interesting because i'm not sure that people actually remember things anymore i think maybe they make um maybe little hash marks in their brain, like, oh, I, I remember something about that, but I don't really, because if, if you, I don't know if you're uh, old enough to remember this, but you used to have to memorize everybody's phone numbers. Otherwise you just didn't have them, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's I don't, I don't think that's a thing anymore. No, I think uh, somebody said, you can tell how old a person is based on how many phone numbers they have memorized. And that's, yeah. that's right. I mean, yeah, I, I, can, I'm here to tell you that people's memories are, are not doing well. Um, and this is another thing, you know, I do this little thing every month on Twitter, I memorize a poem, and I just like have people do it along with me. And it's like, again, this would just be normal, boring stuff, like in any other context, you like in, in the Victorian era, in the 1800s, like, you you would not find it remarkable that there's some guy out there memorizing mm. poems. But why does that captivate now it's because people's brains are so scrambled and so uh, amorphous like you kind of there's no foothold people have no nowhere to grasp and say like okay so this basic principle that's true so i can build on that um that's that epistemological framework i think you were describing that's that's missing mm -hmm. um and to be fair <laughs> plato the great greek philosopher made the uh, same complaint about the technology of writing. He said, like, once people write things down and you get this, like, papyrus that you can mm. keep stuff on, well, people aren't going to remember stuff as, as much anymore. And there's some truth to that. I mean, you always outsource something to a machine whenever you create it. Um, but there's also, I think, there are, there are baseline facts about us, about human beings, uh, that make it kind of impossible to ever really thrive or flourish totally in a machine world like we are a certain kind of thing the aristotelians would say we have a telos of purpose mm -hmm. um and it involves like living in embodied life it's like what does it matter if there's a machine somewhere that knows everything right we have these vast computer databases and we know that somewhere out there is every piece of information but it's like the, that machine doesn't actually know the thing like that machine is not sitting and thinking and having that experience of that knowledge so it actually only matters if you go out and get that information and process it and it changes you some way like that's kind of i think what people are losing is ownership personal ownership over the the facts and, and truth that are totally available to them um, and there's no substitute there's no solution to that except uh, taking a certain amount of human initiative mm. willpower right to say like actually no we're not going to just because we have this ability to do all these many, many things like we're not going to do everything with them that we could we're not going to for instance hack up children and like rearrange their body parts just because we have like the surgical tools to do it um there's there's no substitute people feel like it's inevitable that like, oh, these machines are just going to kind of wash over us and destroy our brains. But it's not inevitable. That's a use of technology. That's not the, the nature of technology in itself. And like, there's no substitute here for actual willpower and discipline, which does actually feel better than like relaxing back into the Zoom cloud. Like it actually, any athlete knows that effort feels better than laziness, sure. but it does take that activation. Energy well, it's, sure. it's the difference between dopamine and serotonin, right? I mean, if you get something mm -hmm. quickly, like if I, if I, uh, order something on Amazon and it shows up in two hours and I have it now, that's dopamine. If I go out and work for it, build it myself or whatever, then that's serotonin. It's, it's the difference between a short and long burn. Right. And look, there's, 
Mm. There's uses for both of those things, frankly. But if if you're terribly dependent on dopamine, then you're always chasing, right? You're always chasing it. You're not building anything. And yeah. I think that's the problem. Uh, we're, we're the chasing part. That's a hunter gatherer feature. We are, we live in societies now we farm, you know what I mean? And it's the way our mm-hmm. brains developed over time. We decided that it was better, safer, more productive to live in one place with the same mm-hmm. people protect that place and, and work the land. Right. Uh, but instead, these days, we just move to a new city and start a new job or we get divorced and we, we go on to a new family or whatever it is. And it's mm-hmm. the, the results are very obvious. I don't, I don't know that you could really uh, I, I don't I don't see I haven't seen any data personally that would convince me that short term things outweigh long term things. I don't think that is the way human beings work, frankly. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is why, like, the number one most effective philosophical question in the world right now is how's that working out for you (laughs) i mean maybe another era like you know there will be other important questions to ask but right now people say these things that make absolutely no sense like i mean i've said this before but like a man can be a woman makes no sense two plus two equals five Mm -hmm. makes no sense like you know the, the right and wrong are just matters of perspective we know these things aren't true it's all just you know atoms bouncing off in a void i saw somebody the other day saying like you know did you know that we're just a rock among a billion billion stars and none of this matters it's like that's obviously a false statement like that and so the real question is like how is that working out for you Mm. if you think that if you believe that what's your life looking like right now not in some imagined utopian future where like if we just push hard enough like do enough covid lockdowns then death will be over and there'll be no more suffering like right at this moment how's it working out for you to spend your 100 percent of your life like inside of a eight by ten box and like listening to everything that the safety gurus tell you like it's not working well for people and they know it and the more you kind of confront them with that uh, the more sort of, I think, opportunity there is for people to realize that these things just don't work. They've not been working. Um, older ideas work better in a lot of cases. And infinite liberty, infinite freedom is actually not the like be all and end all of the American or the human ideal. Like we believe in personal liberty, mm-hmm. but there's actually more than that. It takes more than that to build a society. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, it's again liberty like anything else is is a tool right i mean it's it's sure. like like technology it's it's something that you get to decide uh what to do with it and that, this it's kind of the premise of this show i feel like you can you know do what most folks do these days which is bitch and moan about your rights or your plight uh and then you know <laughs> stand by and wait for the state or somebody else to secure those rights for you or you can you know take upon yourself the responsibilities required of you to to get uh, uh sustain those rights in the first place and that makes you a citizen and and the former makes you a subject Mm. under rule and i I don't think most people are are, uh at least in the united states are as they they used to not be comfortable with being ruled now i feel like they're getting quite Mm. a bit more comfortable with it and i think uh what what are the other things you said it isn't a judgment uh it's not a moral judgment to say that old things are typically better some some people get really upset about that like what who are you to tell me what to do it's like i'm not telling you what to do i'm telling you what works that's not the same thing you know um Hmm. people try to moralize every issue and that's not what i'm trying to do i don't think for example that it is immoral for a woman to choose not to be a mother and to work on her career instead but i i do think that it's very obvious that there's a price to pay for anyone for ignoring your mm. biological programming. There's a price to pay for that. It, and it, it almost mm. incontrovertibly turns to nihilism at some point in your life because you're not doing the things that you're supposed to do. Now, look, some people can't even have children. That, that is the way it is. But if you drill down to the root of that issue, what is it exactly about being a mother aside from all the biological stuff that fulfills a woman's sense of purpose? And there's a lot of ways to answer that question, right? I mean, being em- empathetic, uh, uh, protecting your young, developing your train, teaching your young, things like that. There's a lot of ways to do that without being a, an actual mom, I suppose. But if you mm-hmm. if you aren't drilling down into those things and trying to understand what your you know biological, some people might even say spiritual purpose, though I'm not particularly uh, religious or anything. But not that you would need to be. I just I don't I don't know that I personally go that far. But I think it's something that you should definitely look into if you're so. I talk to people about this a lot, particularly about veteran suicide. Over the last mm-hmm. 20 years or so, 
we've treated this issue as if there are broken people coming back that need to be fixed. And, uh, you know, from time to time, that's correct. But this, I, I understand where it comes from, the empathy to pat them on the back and say everything's going to be okay and, and, and all the platitudes that we do there. And it's some of them are, are not just platitudes. People go out of their way to try to help heal people who have been through traumatic experiences like that. But that's not what warriors need. Warriors need the next job mm -hmm. to do, right? I need the next purpose. That's what I need. That's how you heal. That's why I love this the, the funny kind of meme or trope about the dad who falls in love with the animal that he never wanted. It's like that. There's your evidence. <laughs> that is your evidence right, right there. Like he didn't necessarily want that thing, but as soon as it comes under his protection, his sense of purpose is reignited and he, he feels fulfilled as a human being. And look at how he interacts with this cat that he doesn't even like. You know what I mean? He mm -hmm. immediately yep. resumes his purpose as a provider and a protector and he enjoys it but whether he wanted to or not, he enjoys it. And that is the biological program that programming that we've decided to ignore because we're so fucking progressive. We're so smart. We're so much smarter than nature. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I guess it's and we're just so nice and good. It's we know so much. It's just like, hubris yeah, so again, smart. right? It's always that. This episode of citizen is brought to you by black rifle coffee company. Join the black rifle coffee club and get fresh roasted freedom delivered straight to your door. Black Rifle Coffee Company is veteran operated and supports America's military, law enforcement, and first responders. Get premium coffee delivered every month. Choose your favorite roast, rounds, and delivery schedule anytime you like. Members also get free shipping and access to exclusive partner discounts. The best value you're going to get from Black Rifle Coffee is the coffee club. As again, you can choose the roast, whether you're like light, dark, or medium. You can choose the texture you can choose whether you want uh, ground coffee whether you want to grind it yourself and get whole bean or if you use a curry and you want the coffee rounds and the delivery schedule with a wide uh, array of options for that get 20 percent off your first order with the code citizen so go to blackriflecoffee.com sign up for the coffee club use the code citizen and get 20 percent off your first order this episode of citizen is also brought to you by ghostbed dot com forward slash drinking bros right now ghostbed is offering 40 percent off ghostbed bundles where you get a mattress and an adjustable base for everything else 30 percent off if you use the code drinking bros at ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros if you get the uh 40 off deal if you use the 40 off bundle deal you're going to get uh, a mattress and all your stuff your base your sheets your pillows all this stuff for about 30 to 35 bucks a month. They've got a zero down, 0% financing plan for up to 60 months, six zero months, that's five years, uh, about the lifespan of the average bed. So it works out great for you, works out great for uh, the company. So go check it out, go to ghostbed.com for slash drinker bros. Whether you're in the market for a bed, uh, an adjustable base, whether you just need sheets or pillows or any of that stuff, they got the best, the mattress protector, the weighted blanket. They have everything you need there, 30% off everything, Use the code Drinking Bros at ghostbed.com forward slash Drinking Bros. Or if you need that adjustable base as well and the mattress, get the bundle and everything else you add onto that deal is 40% off. This episode is brought to you as well by Babbel, babbel.com. If you have an upcoming summer trip abroad, my go-to travel hack is Babbel. Whether you're a seasoned traveler or embarking on your first adventure, communication is key to fully experiencing a new culture. You don't want to sound like an idiot. Let's just be really clear about that. And that's where Babbel comes in. Babbel is the language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions. It's the most popular language learning app of all time. And in my opinion, the most effective. With Babbel, you only need 10 minutes to complete a lesson. So you can start having real life conversations in as little as three weeks. Babbel's expertly crafted lessons are built around real life. You learn how to have practical conversations about travel, relationships, business, and more. Uh, other language learning apps use uh, AI for their lesson plans. Um, and we see where that goes, but Babel lessons were created by over 150 language experts who have taught thousands, tens of thousands of people, uh, voiced by real native speakers, not computers. So you get those accents correct. And it doesn't sound all weird and robotic. The teaching met method has been scientifically proven to be effective with Babel. There's up to 14 languages you can choose from, and the speech recognition technology, which I think is their best feature, again, helps you improve your pronunciation and accent so you can really get into those conversations. There's so many ways to learn with Babbel in addition to lessons. You can access podcasts, games, video stories, and even live classes. Plus, it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. 
Start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. Right now, get up to 55% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash American. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash American for up to 55% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. Right, right. Well, I mean, the other thing, and this is part of what you're talking about, I think, is, is like we've, we've suddenly started to take offense when people talk about like the majority when people talk about what works for most people yeah norm, normal normal right? means normal means average it doesn't mean yeah. good or bad it just means most people do that thing that's all that means dude i don't know why people get so butthurt about that well totally well because it's like you know they're first of all a lot of things that are normal are really good like it's really great to be a, mm. to be a normal person like this is actually you know when you hear talk about like you know normativity it's like as if you're somehow imposing upon the world your insistence that like absolutely everybody be a like white straight two kid family owning whatever like all these things that are supposed to be so evil it's like okay well so not everybody is those things but those mm -hmm. things are great things to be in fact a lot of them make society run so like what is the like rage the fury about it well it has to do i think with the fact that it's like you know we're all outside the norm a little bit there's everybody's got something that makes them a little bit like kooky or, or mm -hmm. eccentric and they're you know when you organize society around normies around normal people um there's always going to be like dissatisfactions for the people that have something you know a little bit off i mean even just to the extent of like you know I'm a writer. There are people who are like, you know, violinists, concert pianists. And it's like mm. the world isn't made for people to do that, because if everybody did that, you would not have a very healthy or successful society. So it's like, yeah, there's certain things that you have to accept if you want to live in a world that's made for 99 percent of the people and you can't like demand feel entitled to the for the world to cater to everything about you, every niche you know minor aspect of your identity as you endlessly navel gaze into the small ways that you're special it's like that's not how society actually works society succeeds if you pay attention first and foremost to what the vast majority of people at most times and places do they get married they have mm -hmm. kids they go to work you know they do these things that are like as you say those things work um they conduce to happiness they lead to happiness for uh, like most people most of the time and it's not like an insult to say that even if it turns out that like some people yeah aren't going to live a life that looks exactly like that like telling a woman like most women tend to you know find fulfillment in homemaking and, and motherhood um isn't an insult to her if it turns out that actually she she's like you know the the one woman that like should be at the head of a fortune 500 company you're just telling her like look most people most of the time live this way and if you don't say that think about the terrible disservice you're doing to all those other girls and women who are growing up needing some model some guide and actually do need to hear like it's a good thing to do this basic normal thing of raising a family like that's actually excellent and your children will rise up and call you blessed and like we should honor that like that's just something that you know we, we take all of that away from the majority of people leave them with no guide no honor in their regular lives so that we can cater to like this tiny sliver of a minority that feels like offended and left out because they don't particularly fit into that model it's like well guess what everybody doesn't fit into the model somehow like get over yourself live your life how you're going to want to live and like accept that there is such a thing as normalcy and it's actually really good yeah it's uh i don't know where this all came from i'm not <clears throat> i'm not sure i've ever mm -hmm. seen this in uh, a society before where, where it's kind of flipped this way. So like the niche thing you do or the way you live your life works inside of the machine. And for some reason, people who are part of those groups have decided to destroy the machine from the inside out. You know what I mean? It's like, it, it's yeah. like being, um, I, I won't use the word parasite, but it's like being a bug or something that's symbiotic with another creature or, or those birds that live on the backs of hippos or something like that. And all of a sudden, you're like, you know what? This hippo should be a bird. Uh, and you call your bird friends over to attack them. It's like, okay, what the fuck was the point of that, dude? You it, like it, right. it? It it seems like to me um, that non non normal people, if you want to call them that, um, or abnormal people, or people, people yeah, weirdos, or crazy whatever, people, yeah, 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 they right. just they 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 they're very useful in moving us forward and, and thinking of new ideas. 
You know what I mean? Um, particularly right. in the arts and sciences, especially in the, in those two places, they move things forward quite a bit. I'm not sure we're going to have a lot of new discoveries about how to govern human beings. Frankly, I think we, we pretty much figured that out. Um, <laughs> but we've, again, we've kind of flipped the script where it's like, instead of those people standing out and being appreciated for what they provide, they've started to demand that everybody respect them and agree with them, right. which is new. Well, I, like, I think that's new. I, I, I don't remember seeing that. I've, I've studied history quite a bit. I don't remember ever seeing that particular thing before. Well, I think maybe the closest thing would be like the French Revolution or something. But you're mm -hmm. right. I mean, it's, it's a particularly American dysfunction because it's an excess of the democratic spirit, not of democracy, the government, the mode, the mode of government, um, but of that spirit that says everybody has to be the same. Everybody has to have all the exact same rights and privileges. Like that's not actually how it works. Like rights and responsibilities come connected. Um, and by the way, like just as it's good and nice and healthy and joyful for most people to do what's normal, um, if you do happen to be one of the oddballs uh, for whatever, uh, in whatever way, like a concert violinist or whatever, it's like, it's actually better for you to be on the margin. Like the margins are a great place to be, but they don't exist if you destroy the the normal the core of, of reality. There are no margins. So there's really no place for anybody. I mean, here's an example of this is like, you know, the, the thing about me that is most abnormal, you might say that is weirdest is like, I'm gay. And you look at like, you talk about the advances that weird groups on the outside mm. make. It's like, there's a lot of gay people uh, in like musical theater, art, plays, whatever. Like they're very good artists for mm. a lot of history. A lot of ex Oscar Wilde is a classic yep. example, but like Stephen Sondheim, you can mm. name any number. And it's like, you think, well, why, why are they good? Like what's good about those guys? And one major part of it is that they are having to talk around or work around their exclusion from society. Mm -hmm. So they're telling stories that are kind of at one remove. And that's just a really interesting angle. Like Tennessee Williams, you know, Streetcar Named Desire. You get these kind of very strange, oblique angles. It shows you something new. Now, look, I'm obviously very glad that like gay people are not being like persecuted or stoned or whatever. That that makes my life a lot easier and happier. But since that happened, musical theater, among other genres, has become crap because it's all these maudlin, like self-indulgent. It's like here, you know, here's my gay truth. It's like, well, maybe maybe your gay truth isn't all that interesting to most people. Like maybe it was more interesting when you sort of used your vantage point on the outside to tell something about the inside it's like all of this stuff can actually be very beautiful and good but you have to accept that like if you're on the outside you're you're gonna be on the outside and there's a cost as you say that that comes with that yeah it's like that uh god what is that dick's name i don't remember his name um uh billy eichner that he he, he makes he <laughs> makes this, about that movie bros yeah, yeah yeah he makes this movie about it's a romantic, gay romantic comedy. It's like, all right, cool. There's probably a lot of people that like that. I bet a lot of my female friends that hang around a bunch of gay dudes and get involved in their relationships would probably like that. But the average um, straight dude is not going to be interested in that. And that's, look, you right. shouldn't be offended by that. I'm not interested in eating Brussels sprouts either. You know what I mean? Like they, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff I like and a lot of stuff I don't like. And I, I just, the impetus to demand people accept you is something new because I think that working towards the acceptance of society is a very productive thing. You know what I mean? Because it, in, in two ways, one, it makes you, it keeps you within the guardrails of normal society. So you don't act like a fucking asshole all the time, but two, you get to know people on an individual level and they discover mm -hmm. that, uh, and this is how marriage equality happened in, in the United States. It wasn't because of any politician or any of that bullshit. It was because mm. it was because, regular people started coming out publicly and then folks started to recognize like, Oh, my friends and family members are gay and they're just a normal person. Like, Oh, okay, cool. I don't have to worry about that anymore. Right. That's, that's not a weird thing to me now, but that's the process by which people uh, uh, jettison their prejudice is by personal. It's hard to hate up close. Right. But if you're isolating mm -hmm. yourself and then standing in the street to protest and blocking traffic and demanding people accept you, that will never work ever. It'll never work. All mm. it does is build uh, resentment towards your community. And we're seeing it right now with all this transgender bullshit. And I, and I see more and more exactly. gay people like, Hey, leave us out of this shit, dude. We already did our thing. Like we're, <laughs> we're all set. Like, please leave us out of this. 
Right, right. And we've got nothing to do with it. This is the other thing. I mean, the, the like bizarre leftist lie is that all of these things are sort of one. That's the point of that big acronym, right? The LGBTQIA plus star or whatever. It's like <laughs> they're actually totally different things. They've got nothing to do with one another, um, except in the most sort of remote possible way. If you squint, like there's some similarities. Um, but I completely agree with this stuff where they just like ram it down people's throats. What it actually does is the exact opposite of what it's supposed to do. I mean, this was the uh, sheer audacity of Eichner. You know, he made that movie and he said like, well, this is a movie about how gay people are totally different from everybody else. And also like, it failed at the box office because straight people refused to see it. It was like, well, why should they? You just told them they can never understand you. You just said that like they're totally clueless. So, okay, if I'm a straight person, I'm going to say, thanks very much. Not going to pay to see your movie in yeah. that case. And, you know, when instead you say, no, you actually have to, like I'm going to pry your eyes open and make you look at the screen or I'm going to come into your schools, worse even, right, and like it, talk to your kids about it. What do you think is going to happen? You're going to get people who say, well, actually, like I would basically chill with like gay people wandering mm. around but if it's a choice between like getting called a homophobe uh, on the one hand or if i don't do if i don't want to be called a homophobe i have to let you into my children's middle school elementary school to talk to them about their genitals well call me a homophobe yeah. like that's what that that's what people are currently now saying of course because in reality what this is all designed to do is tear us apart it's not actually designed to bring us together it's designed to set us against one another that's the classic marxist tactic you divide people up you sort of insist that everybody i mean one answer to your question or to your sort of speculation about like where does this come from why is this happening now it's like this is a this is a marxist move right and it was actually actually it's done on purpose after the left has kind of turned from economic critiques to cultural critiques of America. They started, this is where we get our term white privilege, for instance. They mm -hmm. sort of invented this idea of white skin privilege among communist circles to say that like white people can never fully be radicalized until they take acknowledge, they usually acknowledge their, um, their white skin privilege. And that's all, it's all designed to do one thing, which is unmake us as a country, which is to dissolve the ties of uh, brotherly affection and friendship that bind citizens together. That thing that the Greeks would have called philia, friendship. Mm -hmm. It's all designed to just corrode that. It's like acid that they just pour on the citizenry, on our sense of ourselves as, as fellow Americans, first and foremost. Um, and so, of course, it's having that effect when they put it into the schools because it was designed that way. Mm -hmm. Like gay people weren't designed for, the, for that purpose. Um, even people with gender dysphoria weren't designed for that purpose. But the acronym LGBTQIA Borg was designed expressly sure. for that purpose, to wield these people's pain and their exclusion and their feelings of doubt, um, to wield all of that as a cudgel against the 99% of people that basically just want to get along and, and be fine. Sure. And I mean, rule, first of all, rule number one is somebody's trying to divide you. They're trying to conquer you. That's how that works. That's why that phrase has existed for 5,000 years now. Um, but this this game plan is not new. And also uh, a point, it's a, it's crazy how a child rapist like Foucault had so much influence on the modern West. Yeah. Jesus Christ. I, I, that, that is shocking to me. I don't, I'm, I, I'm sure that they don't teach that in their uh, uh, Marxist classes at universities, but it, this, this, this particular style plan is not new. The phrase minority has been used for a very long time as a monolith to include anyone that's not white, anyone that's not straight, anyone, whatever. Right. Um, uh, mm -hmm. e even to include women who have historically been the majority of populations, right? Which is pretty funny. Right. Um, but now <laughs> we're, we're seeing it kind of progress in a different direction now where certain Hispanic groups, uh, most Asians, Jews are all lumped into white now, right? Because whiteness is a concept. It's not your skin color mm -hmm. anymore. Although in schools, we still tell white children that, you know, your, your family's bad. But whiteness right. is, a, is now uh, this weird ephemeral concept and we, it's very bizarre to me, and, and I, I'll never understand the minds of leftists that get duped by this stuff, but they seem to ascribe mm. all the things about successful societies to whiteness, and then, mm. like, th this, this uh, voter ID stuff where black people can't, for some reason, they can't figure out how to get IDs. I just don't know what it is. You know what I mean? It's like, are you kidding me? That's that is the that's horribly racist. What you're saying right now. Because if you could just go ask right. a random black person if they have ID, they're like, Yeah, I'm a human being. Got ID. You know, it, it, it's I can't track that logic. It, it's very difficult for me to track that logic. Where just I, I and well, it, it's not though. From the top down, it's very obvious what's happening. There, as you said, 
intersectionality, all this stuff is just a device used to keep one group against the other and, and pretend you're on the aggrieved party's team. That's really what it's about, right? But for the individual at the lower level, the, the population level, I don't understand how people are so easily duped by this. Uh, and I guess we did spend quite a few years teaching people that they're victims and maybe that has something to do with it. But it didn't just start 10 years ago. This stuff's been going on for a long time. Oh, yeah. Well, it is what they call the long march through the institutions. I mean, that's a famous phrase from this moment when, you know, in the latter half of the 20th century, when the Marxist left basically decides that you're never going to divide Americans up by economic class, because at the time we had a robust, flourishing middle class. Mm. Capitalism was working pretty well for people that actually weren't going to be led to discontent by that by those means. And so they had to be radicalized, consciousness raised according to these social grievances. And there they had actually a little bit of a stronghold because of this terrible part of our history that we had slavery, right? Like that that's like they actually hit upon something that genuinely is a sore spot, a wound, a problem in, in American history. It doesn't define us the way the left wants it to. Um, it's not like the dis full description of who we are as a country, but it's a real thing. It's a serious you know uh moral problem about our our history and so on the basis of that basically took that one thing and just expanded it out to apply to everybody so that the experience of like you know slaves in america is now basically the analogized to the experience of every other supposedly oppressed and exploited group and right i mean like whiteness as a as a concept is basically coming to mean like anything bad but at the same time it's also coming to mean like everything that functions about society which just scares people away from you know wanting to endorse those things but you know the guys currently sitting in the white house literally said if you you know don't vote for me mm. you ain't black right that that's like a real thing and that comes right out of the 1619 playbook right out of the um marxist playbook that everybody to your uh right is essentially defined out of existence doesn't get to participate in in politics um they did the same thing to peter Thiel when when he i think it was when he supported trump uh the yeah. advocate the gay magazine said that peter Thiel shows there's a big difference between uh having men having sex with men and being gay or being queer or whatever it's like yeah because these categories don't actually describe you they're offered to you as if they're somehow going to help you to find actualize realize your true identity and they're not about you at all they're mm. political tools they're things that they're conformity tools to make you fall in line and if you don't uh fall in line if you say anything bad your your token is going to get taken away your black card your gay card your mm. woman card whatever you're not going to be a real one of any of those things unless you say exactly what they want you to say it's like that's not actually uh, you trying to describe me or to you know make me flourish as who I am. That's you trying to, to erase me, dissolve me, control me, and use me as a pawn in your political project. But doesn't it? I mean, it it has to incontrovertibly turn into a three hundred and sixty degree firing squad, right? Because intersectionality mm. effectively ranks how offended everybody should be and then sets them against each other in some kind of weird competition to see who's the most aggrieved party that has to eventually it's just based on uh, the hierarchy and or a hierarchical nature and then the nature of human beings um, that'll eventually yeah. turn into a fight amongst against every uh, everybody's fighting everybody all the time you know what I mean and I think we're seeing oh, yeah. more of that now it's like the 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 idea of a turf for example is the dumbest shit I've yeah. ever heard in my life um, those two things right. have nothing to do like being a feminist and and challenging the reality of somebody being a woman now that they cut their dick off those are two completely separate subjects right but somehow again we've combined <laughs> these things into one idea and it's it's mind-blowing to me it is absolutely oh, mind-blowing yeah. well right i mean they yeah the idea that like because you think that women should have like equal rights and equal pay you therefore need to like change in the same room as steve who's still got an <laughs> adam's apple in a five o'clock shadow is manifestly absurd but the absurdity is part of the point and i would even go further i think and say that like yeah you're right it, it does divide, actually divide people against one another internally intersectionality becomes this 360 degree firing squad it's been doing that for a while now and that's by design because the point is not to elevate or liberate or empower any of the 
people that are actually, you know, being taught this stuff. The point is to turn those people against one another, make them feel constantly angry, constantly aggrieved, um, constantly at odds with their fellow man and woman and, uh, and citizen, um, so that, as you said, they can be divided and conquered and controlled. Who's in the White House right now? Not like a disabled trans black Latina veteran, a doddering old white man who has used the chaos created by wokeness to sail into power when he would otherwise be incapable even of like making a sandwich, let alone ruling a country. It's like, that's what this stuff actually cashes out in terms of is just like power among a very small elite um, who are using this stuff to make people more and more rulable, more and more uh, capable of, of submitting and becoming subjects rather than citizens. Sure. But how do you maintain, I mean, so historically the best way to maintain power is, is through patronage, right? Um, we, you may call mm. them bootlickers or whatever, but this has been going on forever where the ruling classes have, um, you know, people within society, whether they're wardens of certain areas or the military or police or whatever it is, right? How long can you, can you continue? Right. How long should you expect to be able to continue to rule if all mm. of your patrons are set against one another? I, that seems like, like it's a good way to take control. I'm not sure if it's a good way to maintain it, though. Yeah, well, this is that great, you know, Machiavellian question. Is it great, better to be feared than love? And mm. what kinds of power are more stable than, than the others? Um, you know, in, in Aristotle's politics, he makes a distinction between good and bad governments, which is not at all the distinction that like a modern American would reflexively make because he says, look, monarchy can be good. Aristocracy can be good. Mm -hmm. uh, even rule by the people can can be good. If you imagine that, um, it all has to do with where the love of the ruler is directed. If the ruler is ruling out of love of the people for their benefit, um, then you're basically going to get along fine. But if the ruler is ruling for his own self, then eventually you're going to create an unstable situation and somebody's going to uh, perform an uprising. And I do think that even though the Democratic Party, the left, the woke currently present this very sort of united front as if they're marching in lockstep, there's a lot of signs that there are actual real serious disputes and power struggles internally and within. I mean, I think we still don't know the answer to the question, like who is actually in charge of the Biden White House. And it might be that the answer is different on every different day. Like <laughs> yeah. I know Obama is very involved, uh, obviously commands a lot of respect and attention, but there's the Kamala party, there's the Michelle Obama party. Like it's it's quite clear that there's a lot of disarray behind the scenes. And yeah, it can't it can't last forever. Um, it can do a lot of damage in, in the meantime. Um, but you're right, this is an inherently unstable form of what the ancients would call tyranny. You know, mm -hmm. tyranny is when the ruler rules for his own sake his own benefit, his own uh, enrichment, self-aggrandizement. Um, and it's like Shakespeare shows in Macbeth. It's like it works for a while, and then eventually the ghosts come back to haunt you. Sure, yeah. And it's, uh, you know, I, I like that idea of, um, I've, I've talked about this a lot in the past in, in a, I guess, a somewhat of a different way, but the way that a, a monarch might align their love. Uh, what I've said is, and, I, and it's mostly about Augustus, um, he had the same pathological ego that any emperor would, that, that you should expect from an emperor, right? Somebody, uh, particularly one that was born in the purple uh, in, into, a, into a royal family in the first place. But he seemed to set his ego's true north to making Rome the best it could, function the best it could, things like that. And look, he did plenty of fucked up shit just like anybody else, but... Hmm. quite a bit different than Caligula or Nero, right? So his, his it, yeah, wasn't, yeah. It, it wasn't just about ruling. It was about having a good society from his perspective. And I think that's a really important thing to think about because um, we are very romantic about uh, democracy here, right? Hmm. Um, and I, mm -hmm. and I, I'm not uh, opposed to that, certainly, obviously. Uh, I like individual. I think individual liberty is the, the most important principle in any system of government because it's the ultimate inoculation against tyrannical bullshit right it's the sure. it's the consequence that's waiting in the in the in the in the winds for any kind of bad stuff to go down but you know we have had uh, can, can you tell me that 2023 america is uh adjusted for i guess societal inflation if you want to call it that or, or philosophical inflation better than the Pax Romana, right? Comparatively. I'm, I'm not sure I can make that case, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, part of it is about incentive structures, mm. which is kind of, I think, one of the things you're getting at there. And I think that yeah, you're absolutely right about this. And it's an important point. Like, 
you can say two things can be true at once. The Republic can be the best justice, noblest form of government. I believe that. I think that the American Republic is structured as well as any government mm -hmm. has ever been structured in the history of mankind, right? Um, and at the same time, a decaying, decrepit republic that's been crusted over with corrupt bureaucracy and, and sort of taken over by bad men um, can be definitively worse than other forms of government if they're functioning well. Like, you know, if you compare a republic at its worst to a monarchy at its best, like it's it's no contest. Um, and one thing about that moment in Roman history that, that you know, tragic, but in some ways potentially inevitable moment when the republic falls and the empire comes in is it is about incentive structures. It's about Augustus' ego, his kind of imperial ambition, aligning with making things go really well mm -hmm. and, to, you know, basically bringing a lot of, of stability after, you know, years and years, generations of civil war. Um, another way in which incentive structures worked against Rome it was in the case of Caesar, because, you know, if you got this guy, this tremendously ambitious, successful general, um, smart guy, right? A huge ambition, cries at the tomb of Alexander the Great because he, he hasn't accomplished as much as Alexander had. You know, just this big uh, appetite, uh, the kind of appetite that builds civilizations, right? That male drive to conquer and succeed. Mm -hmm. um, and there's no place in society, in the sort of structure of Ro the Roman Republic as it is for him to uh, exert that ambition. There's nowhere for him to go. Roman had a bunch of guys like this. Tiberius uh, and Gaius Gracchus were the really mm -hmm. the first ones that just, you know, the, the, these soldiers, these generals were coming home and finding such a gridlock and such a kind of dead civilization that there was nowhere for all that ambition to go, to build. Um, and that's a really dangerous situation. If, if you don't have a place for your young, ambitious men to excel and be honored for excelling, um, you're going to get some bad scenarios right down the line. It's one reason why, by the way, like a guy like Elon Musk, uh, even though I have a lot of like heebie-jeebies about Neuralink and some of his sort of ideas about the human mind, um, I, I find him a really encouraging figure just because he's got like an he has a goal. He has like a thing that he wants to do. He wants us to go into space. He wants us to be like technologically awesome. It's like at least that's a thing that I could imagine us actually doing. It would make a difference. And like people with ambition could like pour their ambition into that because otherwise it just turns inward and it, it tears you apart, which is currently a lot of what's happening is just the frustration of of noble spirits, noble characters mm -hmm. who have nowhere to go and are actually basically being told that they, they suck for all the things that make them sort of noble and manly and heroic are actually oppressive and toxic and wrong. Sure. And that, in, that inevitably turns into nihilism, no matter where it happens. I've seen it mm -hmm. in Middle Eastern terrorism. I've seen it in school, like white in Hispanic school shooters in America, I've seen it in mm -hmm. the uh, in black inner city pro gang violence. It manifests itself in a lot of different ways, but is the same symptom of the same disease, right? And it is it is, it mm -hmm. is a disease yeah. of we 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 made we made the wrong decision. We were right that something was wrong. That masculinity mm -hmm. there was a problem with masculinity. I guess not a problem with it, but there was a masculinity related problem, and our. For some reason, a, a large swath of people decided, oh, well, masculinity must be bad. And that's obviously yeah. stupid, right? I mean, it's, it's, that, that's just, it, it, I, can't, I can't even address how dumb that is. But there was a problem. Well, the problem I mean, was that we weren't directing it. I mean, it's like, it, it's a yeah. wildfire and you have to put it in the right place for it to be effective. Totally. I mean, many people have pointed this out before me, but it's like it wasn't a problem with masculinity. It was actually a deficiency of masculinity. Right. I mean, masculinity that is, you know, not tutored, is not directed, is not cultivated. Um, that's, you know, subpar manhood. It's like, you know, it, it's it's the raw materials without the full development. You might say that's like, you know, it's like a sapling that hasn't grown into a tree yet now is being kind of twisted and deformed, so it's stunted so it doesn't grow. Um, and we've done this in so many places, not just in, you know, the relationship between the sexes. We've done it with our country, right, which had these, as we've now discussed, like some problems um, and was then condemned as like evil per mm. se. Um, but there's such an like an inherent illogic in that because the very values you're using to condemn the past came to you from 
the country. Like this country is why we believe that all men are created equal. Like, yeah, it's the yeah. founders that taught us that, <laughs> you know? And so it's like, so yeah, so now we say, well, you did wrong to have slaves because all men are created equal. It's like, right. So what you're saying is that there was a deficiency in America, not that America was bad, but that it wasn't America enough. Correct. It's like the same thing is true of, of manhood. It's like, we, you look at men that do evil things, wrong things, bad things. Uh, the, you know, you talk about veterans coming home and you, the, being treated as if they're somehow broken or in need of coddling it's like yeah so you look at that and you say manhood is bad you say no actually there's not enough man there's not enough manliness it's not cultivated enough we don't pay enough attention to it um we ought to be doing a whole lot more to encourage it or yeah at least uh trying to generate in the same way that we would uh, react to creative destruction and try to find new avenues of employment for people, finding new avenues for masculinity right. to be exercised in an appropriate way would have been the right choice and not to tell little boys that they're evil because they have uh, testosterone. That's stupid. Um, this has been a right. really good conversation. Tell me about the book. Awesome. Yeah. Um, thanks. I, uh, the book is called how to save the West mm -hmm. and the subtitle is ancient wisdom for five modern crises. And it is uh, based on that radical idea that the past has something to say to the present. So the, we talked today about all sorts of problems that seem very new, uh, that seem kind of out of left field, crazy, unprecedented. Um, but we've also talked about a million ways in which those problems actually force us back to basics. They require us to reinvest in the fundamental questions like, is there such a thing as true and false? Mm. Uh, what is a human being? What's our relationship to God and the universe? Um, and those questions have been around forever. And that means we're not alone. We have this entire company of witnesses, this enormous tradition called the Western canon to dig into um, as we've been doing here today. So I think if people like the conversation we've been having, uh, they'll really love this book. It's How to Save the West. It's everywhere uh, that books are sold. Good. Yeah, I just bought the audio book. So if you see a deposit nice. to your account, that was me. Um, <laughs> Thank you, sir. Yes, Appreciate sir. it. And I should say that I, I read the audio book myself. If anybody is interested, people yeah, you, don't have to ask that. You got I, to these I days. Like, like if I honestly, yeah, yeah. if I if I uh, bought the book and it was some British dude, I was going to be pissed. So I'm glad that you did it yourself. Um, well, it's me with a British accent. Oh, yeah. So well, that's, that's fair. <laughs> um, tell everybody where they can find you on social media about your show and everything before we get out of here. Thank you very much. Yes, I am at Spencer Clavin on Twitter for my sins. Uh, and that's the easiest place to find me. I've also got a bunch of links there for my mailing list mm -hmm. and all that good stuff. Um, and you can also uh, read what I write at the Claremont Review of Books, which is the publication where I am an editor. And uh, that's that's a good place to find me as well. Awesome. Spencer Clavin, thank you very much for coming today. I appreciate your time. Thank you, my friend. It was a blast. Yes, really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Uh, thank you all for listening. This has been Citizen.